The following is a podcast from Ballin Entertainment. Hello, it's Craig Thompson, and this is the Stratford Slice. Well, I'm riding on a diamond wave because of the guest I have today. When Ron Sexsmith announced a few years ago that he and his wife, Colleen Hixenbaugh, were making their grand escape from Toronto and moving to Stratford, the cool factor of our little city moved up a notch. We were really a somewhere town. So when I started this podcast, I knew I had to do whatever it takes to get Ron Sexsmith on the show, but I had a bit of a problem because I felt a little bit intimidated about approaching Ron. He always seemed so busy creating that I didn't want to bother him with yet another request. But uh, I also chickened out a bit because I didn't ask you directly. I asked Kismet, who works for me, who asked Colleen, and she said yes, you said yes, and here you are today. <laughs> so thanks for saying yes. My pleasure. Yeah, I like the, the medieval music that's off the top. That's <laughs> Paul Shilton. Paul Shilton. <laughs> oh, wrote that's Paul. That. Paul, we love Paul. Yeah, yeah Paul Shilton wrote that. Uh, do you find that people are, are hesitant to approach you because you always seem to be that you're you're either busy creating or or making music? Is that is that just me, or is that a, that's um, something that you find in common? I don't know. I mean, it's. Um, I know when I first moved here, I found. I mean, it, it seemed like. The, people knew I, I was I was here already you know they would say hi from their cars as they drove by um, I know um, you know Anne over at Revel was was saying when I first started going there she was kind of a little intimidated which is pretty weird you know because I, I mean I don't feel that way you know I, I, don't, I feel quite approachable um, but I you know I, I it's true that when I'm walking around oftentimes I'm singing in my head and I'm writing but I don't I don't mind uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm never bothered by anyone. You know. I've seen you at a lot of uh, concerts and a few social events here in Stratford, and I do see you walking around a bit. You walk around because you don't drive, right? <laughs> That's right. That's part of the reason we came here, because I, I needed to get out of Toronto, but I also had to live. I couldn't live in the country, per se. You know, I, I need to be able to walk to the cafe or walk to the YMCA, and all, which I'm doing after this, actually. So, um, yeah, and, and I, I'm very, um, I don't know if it's a, compulsive thing but I'm very routine I have to do my walk every day and I walk the same way along the river to town and uh, and I did that in Toronto I, I had my daily constitutional and I walk get my coffee and walk through Trinity Bellwoods and um and I so I, I need that sort of for my to feel calm you know and to f- and and that's how I write by walking around so um and this is a perfect city for that kind of uh, experience you know now, you grew up in St. Catharines, so why didn't you move to the Niagara Peninsula? Why did you choose Stratford? I guess there was actually a, a minute where we considered it moving back home because my parents are getting older, and and also um, we thought even the Hamilton area. But um, part of me didn't really want to go back to St. Catharines as well because I spent the first 18 years of my life there, and I felt I feel I'd be going backwards to, to do that. And I didn't really, other than my younger brother and my parents, I don't, you know, really have any reason to be there. It was a great city to grow up. Actually, today they had a little bit of a tremor. I don't know if you heard. Pretty scary. But um, so th- for me, coming to Stratford, I really felt like we had a fresh start. You know, I never owned a house before. Um, I didn't know anyone at first, and that was kind of cool. <clears throat> um, we made a lot of really good friends here. And it was just it was just that, like how often in your 50s do you get a chance at a brand new start so um yeah so you're very welcomed and you've <coughs> got involved in things at the museum arrival house mm-hmm. various places like that yeah i mean we love the theater and we love uh i was doing a residency during the pandemic which was sort of a win-win i think for me i needed to feel useful and you know um and also it gave people a relatively normal night out to you know to see a show and have dinner and so uh, yeah, I feel we feel quite uh, settled here now. We have like a great group of great social scene, great group of friends, and 
Great and how restaurants. Do you, and how do you describe Stratford to your friends? Because we're a little bit of an island mm-hmm. of this. It's almost like an island of a neighborhood in Toronto plunked in the middle of a cornfield. Well, it's so unlike almost every other city in Ontario. I mean, there's there are some, you know, obviously Paris is beautiful. There's so many nice qualities, right? Even, you know, in St. Catharines as well. But Stratford's got s- other stuff going on, like the, like the theater and uh, the chef colony and all these great restaurants um, that, um, you know, I'm, I, I just feel there's a cultural vibe here that doesn't, it, I never felt that in St. Catharines, for example, you know, I don't know. And not the obviously it's my hometown, but if it was much more of a paper mill kind of town. And I mean, now they have an art center on the main street. And I think once you start doing that, things happen a bit. But I don't know. A lot of my friends were, were afraid I was going to be really bored here. <laughs> but I, I, I was like, why? You know, I, I, what are you doing in Toronto that's so exciting? <laughs> you know, most people are just staying home or doing their routine. So. Um, I just, I don't know. It really appealed to me. I mean, Colleen worked here uh, before we moved, and so I would come up occasionally and get the lay of the land, and I would try to imagine myself, eh, I think I could live here, you know, and it took some persuading, and, uh, but... You were oh, hesitant. I, I was yeah. dragging my feet. Um, she had sort of given up on the idea, but then but we, we were in a very perilous position in Toronto because we didn't own a house. Our landlord was getting very old, and we were afraid if he died, well, he has passed away now, but we didn't know what would happen to us if we'd have to, because we had a whole house that we were renting for the most unbelievable rent in Trinity Bellwoods. We never would have got anything close to that. So we got out just in time and we were able to find, for me, my you know dream, dream house, um, my Graceland or whatever. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's, and it was all Colleen, she was the brains of the operation, so. And you were lucky enough to get here before the <coughs> pandemic and before the boom. You've been here now six or seven years. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's crazy the housing prices now. I mean, we, we, yeah, I mean, we got ours kind of for a steal in a way. Um, but, uh, yeah, but, it, and, and we've made it our own. I mean, Co- Colleen came here, Colleen lived here two months before I even moved in, fixing the place up because she's the handy one, you know. And, um, yeah, so... I don't know. I love this town, and it's it, in the winter. It's very pretty. It's like a, a Christmas card. All you know, like the snow stays, and then every season uh, is quite. You know, like we live in a, a house that's surrounded by trees, so we get all the leaves in the autumn, and uh, the summer looks very. You know, it's all green and and birds everywhere, and we have rabbits, and we even have an owl on our property. So, I'm seeing nature in a way that I never did uh, see it in Toronto that much. So. And the great thing about Stratford is uh, w- you and I are neighbors almost. We're just a few blocks. Oh, I didn't know that. A few blocks apart. Oh. My daughter goes to school right across the street in that uh, subdivision there where Bedford School is yeah, just I, across I, the way. I, yeah. I cut through there every day, actually. Yeah. 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 Huh. Part of the reason why I'm um, honored that you made time in your schedule uh, to come here today because as we're recording this, we're only a week or so out from the release of your new album in a while, Vivian Line, which mm-hmm. also has a Stratford connection I want you to talk about. Yeah. But also, I, I believe later this week, you're heading off on a tour, so you found the time, so th- thanks oh, very much for stopping by. Yeah, it was kind of crunch time this week. Today I had an interview with a guy from Liverpool who sounded just like one of the Beatles, actually. And uh, yeah, it's just, and I'm very happy that we could sort of squeeze this in. This is sort of our last week of relative freedom before we're in a car driving every day i would have had to wait a few months <laughs> <laughs> or we could have done it over the phone i don't know but oh it's I, much better in person i think so and so uh, tell me about the stratford inspiration and the, and the stratford connection to the album even the name yeah well you know um when we first i think the first uh time we when you know we'd rented the big moving van and we were coming here um, we had, you know, it took us about three trips to move all our stuff from Toronto into this house. And I kept noticing uh, this, this street called the Vivian Line, this rural route. And I was like, Vivian Line, that's interesting. Who's, you know, I remember looking even online and couldn't find any, informa- any information. I talked to people. And, um, and this was, again, 2017, so I didn't know I was going to make this record or anything. And so when it came time to, uh, when I was putting these songs together, I just, uh, yeah, it just sort of occurred to me, it's like this album and Hermitage, my previous record, are, are very Stratford-centric. 
you know, it's all about my new life. And, and the Vivian line for me kind of represented a sort of portal, you know, from, you know, my old life in Toronto to my new one. Because whenever we came here, we always ended up on the Vivian line. And when we, when we hit the road, we got on the Vivian line and it dumps us out on the, the main road or whatever. So it's it just sort of became this sort of metaphor. But then it's funny because a friend of ours who lives in town just randomly sent us all this information. I don't know where she, I think she went to the library maybe, but the, the Vivian was the daughter of a kind of a landowner here at one point from the, I guess the 1800s or whatever. And she was apparently the first woman uh, bus driver, school bus driver in this in this neck of the woods. And uh, and she just passed away actually this past November. I wish I, I would have known the before, but um, so so it seems even more fitting now in, in a, a, as a tribute. I wish you know someone would have told her beforehand, but um, yeah. So it just became. I always like to pick a, a song or an album title that's not named after one of the songs on the record, because otherwise people think, oh, that's the, you know, that's the important song or whatever. So I, I try to think of something that's a bit more mysterious. And the Vivian line just, I don't know, it, it just sort of always intrigued me. Now, all of your past work, Ron, has been noted for its soulfulness, its its spirituality, its uh, deep thinking. But looking at what I've seen of this album so far, have you entered a more optimistic phase? Because there's a bit of gratefulness, like Diamond Wave, yeah. When Our Love Was New. Do you think coming to Stratford has pushed you onto kind of a plateau where you're more uh, thankful in your life than you might have been before? I think so. I mean, even like, again, with my previous album, Hermitage, that was a very kind of romantic album, very upbeat lyrically, because I was just, I was kind of amazed to find myself in such a happy new phase. And this record is kind of an extension of that, although it's not as, you know, the last album I had a goofy album cover where I have a feather boa and all that stuff. This record feels a little more wistful, a little more introspective. Reflective of reflective. where you've been, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and maybe even, I'm just trying to, you know, looking back on my childhood, like in Powder Blue, um, but definitely romantic songs like When Our Love Was New. But even that is kind of wistful because I'm looking at almost in the rearview mirror in a way, you know, w w wow, look how we've, we sort of fit a lot of living into this, like we've been together for 20 years, and you think about all the tours we've done and just all that. And um, so that's a big component and even the song what I had in mind uh, which was the first single uh, is kind of about my childhood and how I kind of struggled in school and my prospects weren't super great but that it ultimately worked out so the by the last verse you get a sense actually it has the word the line the Vivian line in that song uh, as we're you know heading out on the road again so um, yeah so it's very much uh, you know about where I'm at now and looking back a bit. So. And it's interesting, most artists, when they do a music video, they put themselves on camera, Yeah. but you've explored another medium for this particular album. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, in all, when I was on the major labels in the 90s, you were under contract. You had to do two videos for albums, and I hated doing them. Even when I was younger and thinner and all this stuff, I still didn't like... I just felt I couldn't rise to the occasion. Like, I, I really got to hand it to people who are great in videos who really come to life. I would get really, I, f I would feel really awkward. And But then there came a point where the labels wouldn't pay for videos anymore, and I was kind of relieved. But um, but then they, they became the era of this, what they call the lyric video. You know, so every time you had a single, some guy at the label in the gra art department would do this video, just of random footage of things with the lyrics. And... Um, and I thought, okay, that's cool. I don't need to be in it. But now we stumbled upon this fellow named C.J. Wallace, who he approached us and said, "Hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a big. I'm a filmmaker. I'd love to, you know, work with you." And we said, "Well, there's no budget," and he didn't even seem to mind. So he's for this album for the first time ever. He's done. He's doing four videos, and when they're all done, they're gonna. It's gonna make up one short film that he's gonna apparently enter in some film festivals. And so we're really, um, they're all animated, and they're kind of you know, a bit quirky, and the last one was actually quite touching. So I'm really curious to know what the fourth and final video is going to be, because I don't have any input in it at all. And he, I just wait for him to send it to me. He uses your music, and he puts something together. Yeah, um, So, but we're really grateful for him. 
we're hoping at the end of the day we'll be able to give him some kind of money for his efforts because it's it's a lot of work. Yeah, they're very interesting. Well, let's go back. You were talking about how this album is in, inspired by your reflective mood on, of your childhood in St. Catharines. Let's go back to your childhood because it was a while before you ended up going to Toronto. And tell us about when you first picked up that guitar. And I believe you performed, got it, played at a tavern in Port, yeah. Col- Port Colburn or Port Luzi. Uh, Port Luzi, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I always loved to sing, you know, from a very early age. And... Um, you know, and I, like a lot of kids, I thought, oh, it would be great to do this for a living. But it didn't seem to, like possible coming, I don't know, from St. Catharines, you know. And, and uh, you know, so when it got up into high school, I was really, you know, I tried all the shop programs. I wasn't good at that. Around that time, uh, I had some, some buddies who one week we'd want to be detectives, the next week we'd want, to, we'd want to be in a rock band, you know, every week. And so we started messing around. We had these really cheap instruments. And I got sort of stuck on guitar. I was never interested in the guitar. My favorite instrument is the piano. But I got sort of guilted into it. And um, by the time I got out of high school, uh, I graduated in 81, I was sort of good enough where I knew the basic chords but I didn't know what I was going to do after school. I didn't have any plans to go to college or anything. So my bro- older brother, Don, recommended I... Uh, he was playing in a, ba- a band himself at this place called the Lions Tavern. He got me an audition there, and he said, you know, if you're going to play here, you got to learn Beatles, Neil Diamond, and all that stuff. So I did. I would take albums up from the library and l- learn sort of all the hits. And, I mean, I wasn't even old enough to be in a bar, so <laughs> I had to get permission from the government a little letter, and when I wasn't on stage, I, I had to go sit in a room by myself and wait, and I did four sets, so they would come knock on the door, okay, Ryan, ready for you. Um, I mean, obviously, they sort of loosened up after a while, you know, and, but they became very protective of me, the, the you know, the patrons, because I was like this little kid, and, uh, you know, they'd sneak me drinks when I was underage. They, if the cops came, they would sort of hide me and all that kind of stuff, so... I, so that was a great learning experience for me. Uh, so, And that's in St. Catharines you started your family and then moved to Toronto? Is that the uh, order yeah. of things? Yeah, well, what happened was, um, you know, if from that experience I started to, you know, try to think, well, how do I make a career out of this other than playing bars? And, and, I, and I wanted to make a demo, so I went tree planting because I heard you could make a lot of money. It was very really hard work, tree planting. I hated it. And in I, BC or Northern Ontario? Uh, Northern Ontario. Yeah, yeah. And I... Um, but while I was there, I ended up uh, meeting a girl and, and you know, getting her pregnant. So I had, which sort of was a curveball to my life because all of a sudden I thought, well, how am I supposed to have a music career now? Um, but but having my son was what made me a songwriter because I started writing my first songs literally weeks after he was born because I had uh, all the upheaval. I wrote a song called Speak with the Angel. This was like 1985. Didn't even think very much of the song, but that song ultimately would get my publishing deal, then my record deal uh, years later. So, so that all was coming together, and when, when it was in Quebec. We were living in a barn, literally, in, outside of Three Rivers, where I, I started telling my former partner, I think I'm a songwriter. I think we got to go to Toronto and try to make this work, because I didn't know what else I was supposed to do. And that was, like I say, 85, and we didn't actually make it to Toronto until 87, because we had to uh, went back to St. Catharines and worked for a bit, tried to raise money. I think back on it now, it was just ridiculous, like insane, going to Toronto. You know, I worked as a courier, and then every night I had to go out and try to make connections and play the, you know, the open stages, and then get up and work the next day. So it was a lot of hard work, and but I had I was stubborn. I had a vision and I had a a dream, you know. As you were a courier, I presume you were an on-foot courier? Foot courier. So did you, were you writing stuff as you wandered around observing life and things like that? Did you yeah, that I mean, that pretty much every song on my first album was written on the job, like Secret Heart. I would get a song and I would have to, I had my little scribble books, you know, and uh, I would have to sing it to myself all day, you know, and hum it and hope I wouldn't forget the melody by the time I got, got home. I didn't have like a dictaphone or anything. So... But yeah, and then even when I got home, because I had two small children by this point, um, and we lived in a one-bedroom house, that there was really no room for me to do my thing, so I'd have to wait till everyone was in bed, and then I would go down in the basement or I'd go on the front porch and try to write songs. And uh, But I did, though, and I, uh, 
So yeah, I mean, it was it was just, and you know, like I say, I was going out every night to the open stages as well, um, and hearing some of the most amazing songwriters, a lot of them who never really made it either, either, but but who had a huge influence on me, like Bob Snyder and a guy named Sam Larkin who passed away recently. But uh, anyway, it was uh, glad I did it. Well, let's play something from Vivian Lyon, maybe Diamond Wave. Want to set that up? Yeah, actually, it's a good setup because that's a very, very old song. I wrote that song in uh, 1988 in Toronto, and I just completely forgot about it. And But what happened was, uh, you know, I was a courier, and in December of 87, I'd only been working there a month or so, I lost a package and I was almost fired. <laughs> and I was so freaked out, had a young family. And, and on my birthday, which is January 8th, they called me after the Christmas holidays to come in for a meeting. And they were going to decide whether to fire me or not. And, and they didn't know it was my birthday. And so thankfully, they, were gonna get, they gave me an, another chance. So I was walking home feeling greatly lifted hadn't lost my job, and I wrote that st- entire song, um, you know, on my, on the bus and then on the subway. It was it took me all these different means to get home, and by the time I and it was really exciting because I hadn't really written a song since I moved to Toronto, and and that was the one that kind of broke the ice. And yeah, so years and years later, I was reminded of it, and just started playing it again. I think I tweaked some of the lyrics, you know, to make them more whatever, more now. Well, here we are 35 years later. Let's listen to Diamond Wave. Okay. You know our luck was bad for a little while. We're still going nowhere, but now we're going in style. We got a smile for everyone we know those we don't we've been falling down but now we're feeling good and things are moving like we knew they would whoa i'm riding on a diamond way you know the sun was hiding under heavy cloud there was no one guiding us for miles Doubts and second thoughts are gone, long gone. Though we do it things that we don't understand, I can feel the motion of our father's hand. Oh, I'm riding on a diamond way. Take a look at me now. That's old news Got a shirt on my back Got a new pair of shoes And the blues don't stay for long When they come I show them the door And you know I love you You know it's true And I feel like a king When you say you love me too Whoa, I'm riding on a diamond That's uh, Diamond Wave by Ron Sexsmith off his new album, Vivian Line. Ron, I'm 
my background is as a writer, but I went to journalism school. I write news and documentaries and okay. films and things like that. And I've tried writing lyrics, but I'm a miserable failure. So when <laughs> I, I meet someone like you and hear your lyrics, it's like magic. Oh, wow. uh, how do you like? How do you, you talked earlier about jotting down notes, but where do the ideas come from, and how do you actually remember it all? Well. Lyrics for me are the hard part too. I mean, melody is uh, super easy. I just have melodies coming to me all the time, and which is kind of mysterious. I always, I don't know where they come from, but it's like the lyrics. Um, you know, it's hard to explain, but sometimes I'll get a phrase in my head. Um, like in, I had a song called "Love Shines" at, the, at one point, and I and this line came to me one day. I was on a ferry in Europe. And the line was, um, in every nowhere town there are somewhere dreams, you know. And I thought, oh, that has potential or something. I just scribbled that one line in a book and, and just stared at it uh, for months. We couldn't think where to go from there. But that's part of the songwriting thing. You get this little nugget of a melody or a phrase, or maybe it's something you're going through or you're feeling, and you, and, and you scribble down... I like when I'm writing lyrics, it's important to almost like scribble down as much as you can unedited because oftentimes you can take that and work with it, you know. Um, but it just it takes a lot of patience and returning to it again and again. And then all of a sudden it's like a puzzle and then you realize, oh, I see. And I'm, very, I'm a stickler for, you know, internal rhyming schemes. And like if the first verse is really sings well i want the second verse to sing as well i don't want it to be this awkward you know square peg kind of thing exactly. so so i i work on that you know i i i try to use sort of a similar t uh, similar kinds of word phrases in the second verse and like and like i've noticed people like gordon life does that as well there'll be like the second verse there's words that are almost like it's hard to explain but they're sort of in the same ballpark as the lyrics he used in the first verse. And so it's just this thing where I pull my hair out over it. And, um, I, you know, but ultimately, uh, I don't really do anything else. So this is one thing that I focus all my energy on. And I know I can do it if I'm patient because, you know, a lot of people, they get lazy and they, they co-write and whatever. Um, but it it is tricky writing lyrics because I, I I want to I want the lyrics to be as good as the melody. I want to make sure that I've said everything I want to say in a most sort of um, economical way. So. Well, I follow you on Twitter, and let me read you something. Well, that's all wordplay too, Twitter, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, I just want to read something off Twitter. This is how you describe. This is your uh, Twitter handle: half man, half melody, idiot savant. Without the savant part yeah. <laughs> and former kid detectives. Yeah, that's all true. Analyze that for me. Tell me what that all, all means. Well, I do feel, you know, with me, I'm kind of on the spectrum a bit. And I've always, like, I'll, I could get up tonight and sing a whole night of Bob Dylan songs and not rehearse. Like, I remember lyrics. It's my superpower. So, and, but also uh, in that in that sense, I was sort of making fun of myself without the savant part, you know. But, um but I do have that sort of element with, I'm sort of, you know, where you're uber focused on one thing and you're not good at anything else. So there's that, I don't know if that's Osbergers or whatever it is, right. but there's a, and they couldn't figure out when I was a kid what to do with me, which was sort of part of that song, what I had in mind, because I just wasn't there. I, you know, they actually put me back a grade and then put me into a higher creative writing class to try to okay. figure out what was going on in my head. Um, oh, and the other part about the kid, kid detect, detective was true because I had a, a detective agency when I was a, a 10 or 11 <laughs> with my friend Carl. And we actually even got hired for a case. We got hired to solve a missing, it was a missing watch case. <laughs> and we never found it. But um, Did you write a song about it? No, but I mean, I wrote, uh, I don't know. I mean, I was really big into Hardy Boys and yeah. Sherlock Me Holmes too. and I all that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I've always, I like true crime, all that stuff, but I never wrote a song about it, but I just, you know, I just love, you know, I remember I had a sign up in front of my house. We were called SPY. <laughs> and my stepbrother, older stepbrother, was just so embarrassed that he would 
tear the sign down when he got home and I have to make a new one and put it up again. My so. dumb brother doing this spy, <laughs> spy business. Yeah, he was older and n n had no imagination, I guess. Well, getting back to Twitter, I'm wondering if you use Twitter for uh, practicing lyrics because this is something I pulled mm -hmm. off uh, yesterday. Yep. Chinese spy balloon, Putin acting like a bad cartoon <laughs> or some brutal thug or evil goon as the Taliban inflict their Stone Age rules and the GOP act like scumbag tools. Did I write that? Because I wrote another one that was oh. sort of, uh, let me see. Yeah, I wrote that. Yeah, but I was trying to write it to the tune of 99, like sort of a... Uh, balloons. <laughs> yeah. balloons, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, then they found out that it was like a weather balloon, right? Or well, something. there's an argument. The Chinese say it's yeah. a weather balloon. Yeah. The Americans shot it down to see if that was yeah. uh, right. So you obviously are a keen observer. The world is in a little bit of a strange place right now. Yeah. Tell me uh, your perspective on what's going on in the world, how it impacts you, and then how you respond through music. Well, you know, the thing about, um, like, in terms of Twitter... I like I like I've always liked wordplay, you know. And Twitter gives me an opportunity to write in all different disciplines in a way I do I write sketches, I write little Twitter poems I call them. I do a lot of stupid puns and because uh, I like Jack Benny and Groucho Marx and those people. But also it's a it's a place where I can be political in a way um you know, this which I actually I try to avoid as much as possible because sometimes you'll put out a tweet and people come after you, and then you spend the day blocking people because you're commenting on something. Commenting that, on something, yeah. and and it's such a divisive era now, you know. So um, I'm very troubled by the world. I I have very little faith in America right now that they're ever going to get it together because there's I mean Canada is divided in, in here too, but but in America it seems they seem so entrenched, you know, in their positions. And one party just seems to be not even dealing in reality, you know. And and so it's it's just been um, disheartening. Um, but, you know, for me, I don't have any thing, I don't really have any power except to write sometimes these sort of mocking, you know, tweets about the mostly, you know, the GOP or something or Trump. Trump, I'm still upset about that. I can't believe they'd let a person like that, you know give them that type of power um so that so twitter is a little outlet for me but i for the most part though, i try to make it a fun place a, and a kind place and i have like my, my i upload videos for my youtube channel mostly covers where i'm in my kitchen singing songs and i announce birthdays like today it was uh the late gord downey's birthday it was the late kate mcgarrigal's birthday um so that it's become this almost like my own little variety show and and also i write blurbs about my records and memories and all that so uh, i don't know if i answer your question but but the world scares me and touring scares me now um so i i i try to make twitter a place where people can feel you know could calm down a bit you're listening to the stratford slice with craig thompson Check out our website, thestratfordslice.com, and be sure to subscribe. And now, back to the show. But your lyrics, the lyrics of your songs and your melodies, act in a way a little bit therapeutic for the people who love your music because you're relating experiences that we all all face. In fact, you've been called the songwriter's songwriter, uh, some of the best songwriters in the industry, Paul McCartney, Elvis Costello, uh, lots of people uh, think that you are the creme de the creme of. You seem to capture the essence of what it's like to be human, more than other people can do in their songs. Just you know, for me as a fan of songwriters, they all did that for me. You know, so I think, um, oftentimes if I'm writing a song that's comforting or whatever, it's I'm writing it kind of for myself first, for my own head. You know. So, um, but all those songwriters I, I admired, they changed my life with their lyrics and their perspectives about things. And I, I, I was a good student, you know, I just was really, I really paid attention. And I think the reason some of these old guys, I don't want to call them old guys, but the old guard or whatever, sort of looked at, lifted me up a little bit is because I think they could see that I really respected what they did and I was trying to follow in their footsteps. Um, 
you know, but I, I love it when someone writes me and says, oh, this song, whatever, really spoke to me or means a lot to me. We even got a message from some people in Ukraine the other day who were separated by, because of the war, and they'd asked if we could send the chords to one of my songs so they could pl play it. And that was like, you know, that just n knocks all the wind out of you, you know. So um, it's a powerful thing, you know, and it's a, and you, so you don't want to, you know, I mean, you want to use your power for good, right? <laughs> you know, for, you want the songs to say something. Not every song has to say some important thing. Diamond Wave is just a fun song or whatever. But some songs, you know, for whatever reason, they become more um, potent um, and you don't know why necessarily. Do you think we're at a time in the world right now where your songs might resonate more because people are looking for an escape? I think so. I, I, I definitely feel that way. And even on the last tour, just people were so emotional. I think not just because of me, but the pandemic was really hard on everybody. They didn't know when are we ever gonna be together again and see live music. Like my very first show of the of the tour last year was in Dublin, a sold out show at this really nice theater, and I got you know walking out on stage. It was kind of like I got the hero's welcome, you know. All I did was get on a plane and go to Dublin, you know. But it had been years since I'd been there, and there was just yeah. this feeling like, oh, we've missed this so much, you know. Welcoming an old friend. Right? Yeah, and I'm and I'm sure it was the same for anyone else who went and, and played. And, no, and, but yours, Ron, your style is very different. I've seen you perform, yeah. and it's almost like you may have 100 people in the audience, but each person feels like they're in the living room with you yeah. listening to you well, play. Well, that's good to know because I'm going to America where I don't always do well. I, you know, I know that some of the shows are sold out in America, and I, I don't play big places, but there's a few, a few shows that I don't know if anyone's coming, really, that are places I've never played. But I know that whoever is there, they'll be so into it. You know, they're... Because I do have this like cult, cult following, and um, I remember playing Eugene, Oregon, a couple of years ago, and there was some woman that had been waiting for me to come my whole career. I had no idea, and she was all very emotional after the show, and you know, and it was that kind of stuff is just really, you know, you put a song out into the world, and then you have no control over who it's going to reach, and that's right. Uh, so I'm really curious to see how the American tour goes. Because I know I feel there's this kind of excitement that has been building because I haven't been there since 2015, and and the people who were fans before are people who've discovered me over the last few years or whatever. I'm really curious to see um, what the response will be. Now people can see the tour dates on your website, but just remind me where are you traveling the Midwest and West, or is it all over the place in we, the states? It's all over. We start in. Uh, we start in Boston, and then we go down the east side of Connecticut and all that, down to Nashville, you know, with North Carolina and uh, Georgia and all that. And then we come back up, and it's, you know, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Chicago, and I think there's uh, Detroit or Ann Arbor. So I'm probably forgetting places. Oh, we're obviously playing New York. and, and You mentioned uh, Eugene, Oregon, too. You're that's play. later in the okay. month. We're right. going out west and we start Denver or something but so we're doing the Washington state and Portland I mean in Oregon and as well as California Sacramento I think we're playing Arizona so uh, what places are you hesitant about that you're not so certain well um I've never played um like Connecticut before you know I've never uh I've only ever played uh, North Carolina maybe once or twice opening for someone so I don't know I know we'll do like the Nashville shows are sold out um I think New York will be sold out in Chicago and those places but then over Bend Oregon I've never been there like I don't know who knows me in Bend Oregon you know who knows me in uh, I'm playing Mill Valley I've never played Mill Valley in that's California. in California I mean I have played San Francisco which is Kind well, of, I think the, your partners, your promoters, probably have a pretty good read of the markets where they've asked you to play. So. Yeah, and I, I never know. I mean, these offers come in, yeah. and you go, um, but you just want, you know, you, you're traveling so far that you hope that the promoter's going to be happy and that, that you're going to get enough people that it's you don't feel like a loser, which has happened on the last American tour. I remember I played, uh, it was hard. I played Portland. Portland was actually last show. 
of that 2015 tour, and there's about 11 people there in this place that holds like 300 people. And I just remember writing my manager, I go, I don't think I should come back to America. I don't, it doesn't seem to be happening here. But but now um, I'm I'm feeling more optimistic. Now you're uh, you're a veteran of tours. You've opened for Coldplay, I believe, and Sarah McLaughlin on this tour of America. Are you, do you have an opening act, or is that up to the promoter in each area? Um, originally, the show was promoted as an evening with, where I would do two sets and an intermission. Okay. But some of the shows, because of ticket sales are light, yeah. like I think uh, I can't remember which ones, but there are so a few of the shows do have an opener. Um, over in Europe, and that it's I'm not really having any openers, um, and I, I'm fine having an opener. Um, but it's uh, it, it's they're just, there to see you though. That's really what people yeah. Are there to see well, you. the idea too, if, if the promoter's putting an opener on the bill, is is that this person hopefully can sell some tickets too, you know? So, um, which I don't know if that's the case or not. But uh, so it, it's a little funny going into this tour because depending on where you see me, you're going to see a different show because some shows I'll be doing two sets with intermission. Some shows have pianos, some don't. So some shows will have an opener, in which case I'll play just one set. So it's hard to kind of get your groove going when it's changing, when the venues. Right. Like on my last tour, I made it very, my, with my management, I said, I'm only playing small theaters. They have to have real pianos, no openers, so that you can get into this sort of thing every night. And a rhythm. A, so a rhythm. Yeah. And this, this tour, especially the American portion of it, will, that's all out the window. And I, I just have to wait every night and adjust, okay, what's happening tonight? And it'll be fine. I've done it before. So. In terms of routine, it must also help to have a set list memorized that you're going to yeah. do each location. Or do you have to change the set list depending on the well, that's, location? That's the hard part. The last tour, I pretty much did the same set every night, yeah. except with a few alternative songs. Because, you know, there's people requesting stuff too, you know. Yeah. And this tour, I'm... I've, I'm just pulling my hair out over the set list because, again, because it's going to change nightly, and also you're trying to second guess, oh, what, you know, by the, based on where you are, like what songs might they know or what do they want to hear. So I'm really having a hard time writing a set list. Every time I think I've got a good set list, I realize, oh, I should probably do this one. And then I, I don't know, it, it's all like first world problems, or, you know <laughs> what I mean? But it, it's still for me... Um, I'm hoping at some point I'll, because even if I have a set, usually after the first few nights I realize, well, this ain't working or that ain't working, and I'll have to substitute it with something else or shorten it or, or lengthen it even. So I don't know. It, it's, you know, I, but every day I set up my, in my sort of living room with the, where the piano is, I set up like a concert, and I go and I run through the whole set, you know, and so I feel like, Whatever happens, I'll be ready for it. But you don't have to worry about it because I think one of the people, things people like about your concerts is you think out loud uh, between songs and yeah. people, uh, you're reading the mood of the night and you share that with people. I think I'll play yeah. this. or it, yeah. it, it's, so, it makes it a different concert experience. Well, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, you have a framework and then sometimes you're looking at the set list and I don't, don't want to do that one and you <laughs> put something else. Or somebody, sometimes the audience kind of hijacks the set, you know, and they'll start yelling out songs and like, oh, okay, I'll play that one, um, and that's it's, which is fun. And it's also sometimes not ideal because you're trying to rein it in again back to so you can because you don't want to play three slow songs in a row or whatever. So there's just a lot of but I find that with my audience they're very informal. Yeah. You know, they'll just talk to me like as if I'm in the audience or something. And you tell the story of it led yeah. the motivation. What's the reason for this song? Yeah, you, yeah I do a little. I, yeah. I do a little bit. Yeah, and uh, with the, when I'm with my band, I do less of that. Okay. Because we're you know you're trying to have some momentum for the show. But oh, exactly. with the solo type of show, you can be a little more. Uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? You can sort of take your time ad -lib. and yeah, ad lib yeah. and. Stop, you know, sometimes I'll, if I'm playing this first verse and I forgot a lyric, I'll stop and I'll start over. And people are very forgiving because, you know, they're seeing a human being, right? Exactly. They're, you know, and every note they hear. We don't I, want perfection. We just want realism. You want realism. And, and every th when I do a solo show, I, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm more nervous than I am when I do a band show. And at the end of the show, I'm way more exhausted because really? it's just all the, everything they're hearing is c coming from you. 
every you know mistake or whatever happens and when it goes well it's like the greatest feeling in the world you know it's like well i did that all by myself you know you took the evening from here and you took it there um and then i'll lie in my hotel room all night thinking about all the things i did right or did wrong or it's just a whole mental meanwhile your audience is going home happy that they heard you play uh, well yeah <laughs> nobody's judging you surprisingly yeah people are always very Oh, that was a great show. Even if you didn't think it was a great show, they'll say nice things. And so you want to be at least consistent, even if so that if you're having a bad night, nobody notices, right? Yeah. So that's part of it. Well, you'll be playing Vivian Line uh, sets, I'm sure, and we'll play another number off, the, another track off mm. the album uh, right now, When Our Love Was New. Do you want to set that up? Yeah, this one is like um, one of my favorites on the record. Uh, I was surprised that the label wanted to put it out as a single because it's, so, it's like a real ballad. But it's it's just a song um, about Colleen and I, and uh, at this point in the stage in our life, looking back on how far we've we've come, and it's very wistful. And um, a friend of mine the other day told me oh, it sounds like something um, a Sinatra could have sung. You know, I love I love him. So, but it's just it's a very self-explanatory song. It's very romantic and sweet. Let's give it a listen. When Our Love Was New from Ron Sexsmith's new album, Vivian Line. When our love was new As new as the morning It sparkled like the dew of the new day dawning Little did we know We were old souls from the start For though our love was new It was ancient in our hearts When our love was born And a new life was beginning Our kisses they were warm Our eyes how they glistened Nothing much to say It was always meant to be Though our love was newly born Other lifetimes had it seen Spirits swirl around and twirl around Until they find a home I turned around, you turned around Until the time had flowed When our love was young As young as the springtime We were always on the run Now it slows to a sweet time Little did we know souls from the start Although our love was young It was ancient in our hearts Although our love was new It was ancient in our Well, that's uh, wonderful, Ron. Thank you. And where can people... Um, you're, you're doing this album on vinyl, which also speaks to the type of audience you've got as well. Yeah. Right? Tell us about where people can find the... Obviously, there's you can digital listen to it on Spotify, but yeah. you want people to touch and feel something, right? I'm, I'm just happy however people hear it. I mean, I, I personally like vinyl. I even like CDs. And it's, you know, they're not doing CDs in North America, but the UK label is putting some CDs. 
So, but I, I guess people can get it wherever they get other records. They can get it yeah, digitally or they can order it. I think even on our website, you'll be able to order it or from um, maybe even the label. Uh, but I'm sort of the worst person to ask because I, I go to the record store, you know, and that's where I, and if they don't have the record, I'll ask, ask the guy if he can order it for me and it'll come in. So however people get their records, they, they'll be able to get this one. So. And what do you listen to for pleasure? Who do you listen to? Um, well, one of my heroes, and this is more of a recent thing, is, is Warren Zevon, who died in the early 2000s. And I just started getting into him around the time when I heard he was sick. Because, I, I mean, I always, I always knew about him, but I only really knew, you know, Werewolves of London or something, which I liked, but it was kind of a goofy song. But then around that time, I started just zeroing in on him and to the point where I got kind of obsessed. And I, and I think, especially during the pandemic, his music has really got me through because there's something very heroic about his songs and almost he's got this sort of pirate energy. You know, he had a pretty crazy life and he was really out of control for a long time. And, he, and he's such a great command. You talk about lyrics, this guy's lyrics are, are so great. His point of view, his sense of humor, his command of the English language. Um, so I just, he's, he's someone I listen to, probably drive calling up the wall with him actually. But I listen to him a lot. And I heard he may be getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, finally, way overdue. So, but I love him. I love the, you know, a lot of the, um, the same people I've always loved, like the Kinks I still listen to. And I love, uh, you know, Lowell George. And like, I still listen to a lot of Gordon Lightfoot. You've done a lot of collaborations over the years. Now that we're emerging from the pandemic and people are getting out there, do you have anything in the works that you'd like to try with people you might have worked with before or people you haven't? Um, the, the only thing I really want to do is, you know, I wrote this, I wrote a book uh, called Dear Life, and I wrote, then I wrote a musical based on the book. And I would really love someday for that to be um, either a movie or... Uh, you know, uh, uh, on stage, because I think the songs are really good. And I was actually in talks with a movie company for a while. I don't know where it stands now, but they were, they really liked it. And they, they, we were on the same page in terms of how we saw it. And uh, where it left off is they were trying to see if they find the right screenwriter. Mm -hmm. And and that was back in the summer, and I haven't really heard. So I don't know if they're still into it or not. But that for me, that's would be. Hopefully before I die, I'd love to see that in production somehow. Uh, we talked earlier about uh, how some of the great musicians admire your work, mm -hmm. and I want you to tell me the Paul McCartney story in a second, but I want to share a little story with you because mm -hmm. I had the chance to interview Paul McCartney, oh, and, no, I, I... and I nearly blew it. So oh. I was the CBC radio correspondent in London way back when, and it was the 20th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper's, I think it was. Okay. And I was invited, all the foreign press were invited. Yeah, that would have been 86, right? Yeah, 86. Yeah. Yeah. I was invited to Abbey Road Studios, oh. and I was a Beatles fan from way back, and yeah. here I was going to Abbey Road Studios, and here he was with Linda at the time, and I had the chance to ask him a question, and I couldn't get the words out of my mouth. I was so, so nervous. nervous. Oh, my God. Sort of, and he made some sort of joke about, the, yeah, the cat's got your tongue. So oh, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of blew it. What was your experience with uh, Paul McCartney? Um, well, it was, it was kind of funny because I was heading over to England for the first time. My record had just been released there in ni early 96. Um, and I had, you know, my album was out in North America it, but it died here, and the, the label was almost about to drop me. That was Interscope. Interscope, yeah. and then Elvis Costello held it up on a magazine, which sort of created interest all around the world. So I'm going over to England, and I, again, I sort of got this hero's welcome. You know, even the band Squeeze opened up for me, just sort of a surprise opener. It just seemed so surreal. And one of the members of Squeeze, because I went on tour opening for them, one of the guys from Squeeze, Chris Difford, um, lived down the road from McCartney. And, um, you know, and I was like, oh, have you ever been up? And he goes, oh, yeah, you know, I've been uh, over there uh, for breakfast. And then he goes, well, ma maybe we'll go there tomorrow. And I was like, oh. So I, I couldn't hardly even sleep because I was so excited at the maybe the possibility. And because, um, you know, before I'd left home, someone, a friend of mine said, hey, say hi to the Beatles for me. You know, I as a joke. As yeah. a joke. <laughs> um, 
So the next morning, he, you know, Chris woke up. I was already up, and he was, and he was like, "Oh, what do you think? Should I call call them?" And 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 he, so he did. And I heard I heard Linda Linda's voice over the phone. Oh, hey, Chris. And at the time, I was in all the magazines over there, all the Q and Mo. So so they knew me. They I don't think they knew my music, but they'd heard good things or something from like Elvis or whatever. So they invite us over for breakfast at a table very much like the one we're sitting at. Except I was there, Paul was there, and then Linda sat at the end, and Chris was over here. And I was nervous, you know, obviously. But when we got to his house, Paul was already at the door, you know, sticking his head out the door, giving us like that thumbs up type of thing. To come in. To yeah. come in. Yeah. And I, and he goes, oh, you're wrong, whatever. <laughs> and we, we go in, and I sit at the table, and I couldn't look at him. I was just uh, sitting there with, sitting looking at my tea, and, and Linda came and was very very friendly and and was just like oh you know you're from Canada I, I was a big fan of Gordon Lightfoot and uh, so little by little I was able able to look at Paul and we talked and mostly asked him about wings um, and we ended up he ended up playing me some tracks on his stereo from his album that he was working on and when I got back to the table he pulled out a guitar and started playing me some new songs which which was unbelievable and he asked his son to get me a guitar so all of a sudden I'm, he's looking at me and I, I, I didn't know what, I played him a song that he wrote called uh, Listen to What the Man Said. Yeah. And then I did one uh, by the Beach Boys that I heard he, he liked the Beach Boys. So it, all in all, we were there, for, you know, we had breakfast. We were there for maybe three hours. And, um, and, I, and we left and I just was like, to this day I've met most of my heroes, but that one kind of takes the cake, you know. <clears throat> just to be in, and he was in his pajamas, right? We're talking Sunday morning, super casual, sheepdogs running around. His kids were there. It was crazy. At the end of the day, everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time. That's right. That's right. And they're there because they didn't say, oh, hey, I'm going to be a famous musician. They're there because of their art, their music. They, yeah. I mean, yeah, I never felt, uh, I mean, he's Paul McCartney and he knows it, you know, but he didn't, I never felt. He didn't rub it in. It wasn't like kiss the ring or anything like that, you know. So it was very, um, yeah, it was very casual. And I was nervous, but but I, like, again, Linda helped me to sort of relax, I think. Now, are, are you at the level, Ron, now where you can almost dictate what you want to do yourself? Like, you're at that, you could pick up the phone and call up Paul McCartney or... Elvis Costello or Rod Stewart? Like, do you have not really. urges like that, or you just want to keep to yourself? No, I've thing? never seen or heard from McCartney since that one one day. I mean, Elvis has become a friend, and we email sometimes. Um, I don't even know if I have his number anymore, but but I, you know, Elton John is someone that I chat with him sometime on on email, and I was a member of his fan club when I was ten. So, wow. so some of these people, but I'm not in a position where I can really call. I don't think call some of these people out of the out of the blue. I, I would feel too like I was imposing or something. But they've all been really nice to me. And um, but you've done some duets with you did one with Leslie Feist, right? Was, was that yeah. a duet with her? Yeah. We wrote a song called Brandy Alexander right. that she recorded, and then I ended up doing a version on my album. And we um, she did also covered Secret Heart. Right. Um, she's one of my favorite people in the whole Canadian music industry. She's there's a lot of posers, you know, and she's yeah. the real the real deal. real deal. She's really nice, and she doesn't. Uh, she's never changed, you know. She's just very kind, very warm. So, and her brother has a neat story. He's a works at NASA now. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was uh, involved in the space program, and he somehow got a got a job um, yeah. uh, working down at NASA. So that's an interesting interesting family. So yeah, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this up. It's been great to uh, have you on the Stratford Slice. We're going to end it off with whatever it takes. As All I right. said at the beginning, I would do whatever it takes to have you on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And yep. I knew you'd be a, a great uh, guy to talk to, and I want to thank, thank you. you for your time. So let's set up uh, whatever it takes. It's a, it's an older song, right? Yeah, it came out in um, 2004 on my Retriever album, which is probably one of my favorite albums that I, I've made, if I'm allowed to have one. <laughs> and I wrote uh, when Colleen and I were just newly a couple. I, I was, you know, I'm in that sort of that period where you write all these romantic songs. And I wrote that one, I wrote, and Tomorrow in Her Eyes and a few other romantic songs that are on that record. But whatever it takes, though, and this doesn't happen very often, but when I was writing it, I remember thinking, 
wow, this sounds kind of like a hit song. I'd never had a hit song before. And so you're almost afraid to record it, like you're not, it's going to be disappointing or whatever. But, you know, around that time, Warner Music Canada signed me because I was on an indie label. And they they thought so too. They thought, well, I think that's that's a hit song. And so lo and behold, they put it out and it got into, I think got up to number like 10 in the Canadian charts. And I even won the Juno that year for, um, or the following Junos for the songwriter of the year. So it was a big song for me. Um, and you've won a Juno three times, right? I won three of them. Congratulations. And um, I, don't, I think my Juno nomination days are over, though. I haven't been nominated since 2014. Well, I saw you on Twitter yesterday yeah. talking about, the, what did you say about the Grammy Awards that you didn't recognize or oh, no, Saturday Night Live? I, I was uh, just saying when I watched the Grammys, it seems that a lot of the musical performances seem like SNL musical performances. Like there's no one's just playing the song. There's this theatrical, theatrical, stuff, theatrical yeah. component. But um, why do you say your Juno days are over? Well, I just, I just, I don't know. I'm just saying that. I mean, it's just been a long time since I've had th- three albums out since the last time I was nominated, and so I'm curious to see if the new album will get any attention down there. Um, and if it, you know, I, there's a certain point you've been around so long, like Lightfoot doesn't get nominated. Anymore, you know what I mean? So there's you a become certain, a legend. You, yeah, <laughs> and then you know maybe you'll get a gold watch later on or something, but. So I just don't expect it. There was a few years where it seemed like I was going to the Junos every year, even when I felt I didn't deserve to be. There were certain albums like Rarities, which was just an album of B-sides and that, and that got nominated for Juno, and I thought, well, that's not right. You know. Anyway. Um, but the good thing is now because of technology and touring, mm-hmm. you can meet your fan, you can interact with your fans directly. There's no yeah. barrier like a record company in the way. They're, they're helping you make your albums and distribute them, but mm-hmm. you can have a relationship directly with your fans. Yeah, and I mean, there's some good things about the way it's all done now. And I'm very old fashioned though. I like being on a label. I like seeing Warner on the back of the album cover and all this stuff, you know? So, um, but yeah, I'm getting to the point where, you know, I, I do say no to a lot of things now. I don't want to do that. I want to, you know, I don't want to do anything that makes me feel like a loser. I like, I want to play, I want to play nice venues if I can. And, and so, um, yeah. But, but I, there's a certain freedom now at my age where I feel like I'm not really competing with anyone anymore. I've I've kind of survived, you know, and I have all these albums, this body of work, and I'm still not, you know, I'm not a household name or anything, but I have enough of a, you know, the people in the know, uh, I think, appreciate that I've, you know, I have a body of work and, you know, made a, some contribution, so... Well, thanks for saying yes to me. My pleasure, yeah. Appreciate it. Let's go out on Whatever It Takes. All right. Ron Sexsmith.
we give thanks for our love at each new dawn. We'll find the strength and the will to carry on. The sun alone will never do. Without your love to shine on through, it just won't be new. Whatever it takes, my love, find it. Whatever it takes, my love, to put the lonely days behind us, lay it down. Whatever it takes, my love. You've been listening to The Stratford Slice with Craig Thompson. For more episodes, check out our website, thestratfordslice.com, and be sure to subscribe. The Stratford Slice is produced by Ballinran Entertainment, Southwestern Ontario's number one digital media studio. If you have a great story to tell and want to be on the podcast, please reach out to us through our website, thestratfordslice.com.